Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Flash fiction. Yes, the contest is in full swing now. In fact, we're almost halfway to the finish line. So if you're the kind of writer that likes to wait until the last minute to break out the notebooks or flip open the laptop, it might be time to start cracking. Or at least thinking about it. TalesToTerrify.com, of course, has all the info you need and an ominous image to jumpstart your creative engine. We've got some great entries already, but let's keep the darkness flowing, shall we? Our editors are hungry for more. Also, if you haven't heard the news yet about StokerCon this year, just a quick note that the Horror Writers Association has, understandably, made the decision to move the conference online. While it's disappointing for those who were hoping to attend in person, it could be awesome for those who were otherwise unable. Coming from Canada, the odds I could have crossed the border by then were slim anyway, but we had a few members of the team who were hoping to make it. It would have been amazing to meet some of you fantastic folks in person. How about next year? Until then, there's still plenty of great stuff to come from this year's event. Check out StokerCon2021.com 
for all the gory details. And again this week, we'll be cooling our heels while I take care of a few things around the homestead. Some exciting changes in my personal-slash-professional life that I won't get into here, but it's been eating up more of my time than I'd like to admit. But the deliciously dark stories we have for you this week should more than make up for it. Let's dive into some fiction. Our first story for the evening comes from an old friend of the podcast, O.D. Hegra. A retired academic, Ori and his spouse and muse, Maleva, reside in the quaint little village of Green Valley, Arizona, just south of Tucson. Enjoying the magical environment of the Sonoran Desert, Maleva explores her creative side, painting with watercolors, while Ori continues to hone his craft, painting with words. Tonight's charming little tale of revenge is included in his print anthology, Something's Been Brewing, available on Amazon. Among the many things that trying times such as these can teach us is that, in general, a little social distancing can have its benefit. There is no doubt that Ralph, the antagonist in this short story, ultimately wished he had learned that lesson. Children of the Night, join me for O.D. Hegra's Extermination. Look, pal, I'm just here for a drink. Not interested in company, okay? The woman stared straight ahead. Oh, sweetheart. I am the company you should be interested in. Trust me, he wasn't bad looking. But his cologne, and that lingo? Just the kind of creep you'd expect to find in a place like this. Of course, that's why she was here in the first place. Everything okay, miss? The Hulk behind the bar had his hands on his hips. Sure, just fine. She sipped her drink. The bartender stared at the jerk. Like he knew the guy's program. What to expect. So did she. It was nice the bartender cared. She looked up into Gigantopithecus' brown eyes and smiled. Thanks, Ed. It is Ed, right? Yes, miss. Ed. You're charming, Ed. But I can take care of myself. The bartender shook his head, turned and lumbered back to the rest of the crowd at the bar. The jerk sipped his drink. Then, so, what's it gonna be, little lady? How about we smack down a few more than go? We're not going anywhere, Ralph. She kept her voice low. Whoa. Do I know you, pumpkin? The man slammed down the rest of his drink and motioned to the bartender. We're doing it right here, Ralph. The man rubbed his chin. Ed poured him another double. Not what I had in mind, darling. Ralph sipped the drink, 
Something more, more cozy, I figured. You figured wrong, Ralphie boy. Really? Really, little lady? Eugene figured it out years ago. Just wasn't ready. But she's tired of it now. Sent us to check you out. And if, if what? He was sitting up now. And how do you know my wife's name? If you proved yourself, then we had the go-ahead. The sisters and I have been watching you for a couple of weeks. And with this evening's little episode, she stared into Ralph's wondering eyes. I'd say there's no doubt I have the go-ahead. What in the devil are you yapping about, Missy? Jean's a novitiate. Full membership in the order takes time. But she has potential. Everyone does. If they commit. We consider her a sister. Jean's a good pupil, but at this early stage of the craft, well, that's why I'm here tonight. To help her out. Help her get the bugs out of her house so to speak. She moved in closer. So here's the deal, Ralph. You like me, right? His hand moved to her thigh. She smiled and leaned in, her wet tongue lapping his ear. Just whisper these three words to me. Exactly as I speak them. And I'll give you exactly what you require. Ralph listened then sat back and smiled. That's some kind of Latin pillow talk, sweetheart? He sipped his drink. Something like that, her eyebrows flickering up and down. The smile turned into a grin as Ralph slipped his other hand around her waist. Pulling her close, he bent forward and whispered the three words in her ear. Just as well he's gone, miss. The bartender looked into the tearless eyes of the young woman. I've seen them all. Ones like him. Good for nothing, if you know what I mean. The big man glanced down and smiled. Well, at least the creep didn't stiff me for the drinks. Ed dropped his towel and reached down, picking up the twenty. A cockroach cowered in the light, antenna poking out, exploring. Son of a bitch! And the bartender slammed his huge paw down, squashing the bug. Sorry, lady. Just last week the exterminators were here. Got this house in order, I thought. Ed wiped his hands on the towel. Listen, miss. And he ran the moist cloth across the mess on the bar. Your next drink is on me, okay? The woman raised her glass. Spell ended, Eduardo. She finished the rest of her drink and nodded. Simply splendid. That was O.D. Higra's Extermination, as read by Danielle Hewitt. Danielle is recording out of New Bedford, Massachusetts, where the people can be just as scary as any horror story. When she isn't recording, she is tending to the two small children living in her house, 
they just won't stop screaming at night. Danielle is a graphic designer by trade, spending most nights photoshopping horror scenes out of your nightmares. Thank you, Danielle. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, Offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our second story tonight comes from H.L. Fullerton. H.L. Fullerton writes fiction, mostly speculative, occasionally about hands that turn into knives, and has had more than 60 short stories published in places like Lackington's, Daily Science Fiction, Mystery Weekly, and Tales to Terrify, including First and Second Offerings on Episode 286 and Disturbing the Huntsman on Episode 363. You can find him on Twitter at by H. L. Fullerton. Listen with me, children of the night, to H. L. Fullerton's Lend Me Hands, Idle and Sharp, a Tales to Terrify original. It's a large, crowded room. No windows. An arena, I think. Unfamiliar faces cheer. Raised hands clutch green and white paper. I've forgotten the rules. Maybe never knew them. Words roar. I don't understand this language. Not yet. The memory of sweat, lust, dirt lurks on my tongue. There's a lot of dick-sucking and wall-fucking going on. It's a circus. Sport thing? Auction? Main event? Orgy? Bodies press tight against me, but I don't feel their heat. I drift upwards. Oh, I have gone dreaming again. I float until my head bumps the ceiling. 
It's so low, my chin barely clears the crowd. I scan the room, basement, looking for me, and (laughs) there I am, center ring, being cheered on. Some guy, jeans rucked down, shirt still on, hat nearby, moves between my legs, really giving it to me. Maybe it's him they're cheering. I'm naked, enjoying it, or seizing, hard to tell at this distance. The energy of the crowd spikes, the eager shove closer and closer to the main event, me. The damp spots in the dust, the glitter of grit on my skin. He is not my first of the night, nor the last, I think. I don't remember coming here. I'm not sure where here is. Maybe I should get back in my body where the answers lie. But sometimes knowledge isn't found in flesh. I hover a while more, taking in the action on the sidelines. Some seems planned, two smaller dirt rings bracket mine. Some just spectators partaking. I watch, trying to figure out how to play. Wonder why I went dreaming. I glance back at myself. My lover is banging my head against the floor. I think, that's gonna hurt. Consider going down, stopping it. I don't. The dreaming has a hold of me and I relax into it. Inside skin, I am limited by my body. Senses minimized to such a narrow scope. But out here... Out here, I feel, imagine, see everything. And everything is so much bigger, better. A swell of interesting going on. And I've fucked before. Nothing new there and up here. I sizzle. I try to dip into one of the other performers. A man whose face has shed all logic. Who seems on the brink of casting off his body's husk but am yoked to mine and can't swap. Once, I must have looked like that, but maybe not. Maybe things don't work the way I think they do. Maybe breaking isn't dreaming. Maybe shedding oneself isn't the fierce moment I imagine. Maybe it is a more delicate slipping that leaves no impression. Something ripples through the crowd, distracting people right and left. I search for the disturbance. A sweat-soaked man flashing a machete knife, all intent and rage. I rush back, absorb myself, and things are louder, smellier, smaller. A wash in hormones, I'm euphoric, or terrified. And at first, my body moves like a headless chicken. Then I'm in control, more or less. The memories I need aren't awaiting me, but I have to act. The death-dealing man and his knife are close. My arms ache and flop. I ignore their useless twitching and thrust up with all my power. It barely fits this small frame. I think I might break this body attempting to save it. My lover rises above me. Howls and jerks. White noise in the pandemonium. I almost drop him as glorious sensations flood me. I gasp and lift my torso. 
Then a knife tip pokes from his chest like a small tongue, grows into a sharp, shiny fang. I toss him aside. The machete is yanked from the blood-slicked grasp of our attacker. He is surprised at my strength. Perhaps he didn't come here for me, but it is too late. The frenzy has begun. The crowd surges, the diameter of the circle ring shrinking rapidly around me. I stagger to my feet, open my arms to embrace the maddened crush. Hungry eyes everywhere. This, this I know. I have two outstretched arms, then four, then eight. My many hands sharpen, turn to knives. People froth, attack. I slash and cut, twirl. All my knife hands borrowed from my other selves, slicing and gashing. We dance. I am the sun. The crowd orbits me. I spin fast, then faster. I suck them into my gravity. They find my sharpness, impale their husks. Bodies slam, then fall, slam, then fall. My knives flay. Hearts gasp, flesh rends. Buffeted by debris, drenched with rain. Sweat, blood, I skid and slide. The world turns on its axis, taking me with it. And then I stop spinning. I sway. My eyesight wavers. Arms fall, disappear, until I'm left with only two. My hands bloat, separate, become ten fleshy fingers. I miss their wicked edges. Call them back, but they're gone. Lost. I blink. How much time has passed? The basement is darker now, like the sun has set. I look for windows, recall there are none. Why is it darker? Blood. It specks the lights, casting shadows. Perhaps that's for the best. I wade through the effluvia, dragging feet along the floor so as not to lose my balance. I don't look down. My head buzzes, organs strain against my skin. This body is too tight, too small. My pulse heaves. I need a door. Keep trying to remember where I came in. I remember something about a small room, waiting room, dressing room, cell, but not where it is. I talked with someone there, a woman blonde. She wore a short blue robe. Maybe red? Smiled a lot, but not with her eyes. They were tired. Sad. I'm tired. Sad. Maybe dying. Brain isn't working right. Memory's all broken into little useless pieces. I find a wall. Follow it until I find a door that opens. On the other side, there's a hallway. More doors. I need clothes. A shower. Shoes. I need to remember my name. Get some food. I walk down the hall. Stop. Go back for some green and white papers. Money. 
Cash. I can trade money cash dollars for food. I dig for paper money. Hope the money bills will wash clean. I hunger. I wash. I eat. I head home. Except I don't remember where I live. I hate it when this happens. Step, plod, step. I walk city block after city block. I don't like this place. Loud, smelly, tall, but it feels sort of familiar. Words make sense again. Understanding is on a three-second delay, as if I'm translating each sound into my native tongue first. But the words from my mouth are the same as those in my head. Maybe there is no other language. I look at my hands to make sure they haven't changed. I check that the wetness on my forehead is sweat and not blood. Sweat is okay to share, blood is not. It's sweat. I check that I'm clothed. I am. The sparkly top and skinny jeans may even be mine. They fit. I found them in that cell room where I saw the blonde woman. She smiled at me and I cut off her head. I wish she hadn't smiled. I don't think she had anything to smile about. Her eyes were empty, bleak. I hope she likes being dead. I think I'd like it. My feet ache. My head hurts. I go into a store and buy headache medicine and a bottle of water. I pick the one with the wave on it. My favorite brand, I'm almost sure. I take the medicine, but my head still hurts. Why does it hurt? My fingers search, find sore spots, then a lump. I remember the man and the floor. Perhaps I should have stopped him sooner. I miss my other hands. They had teeth. I avoid streets of tall glass and chrome, stick with shorter stone and brick. None of the buildings look right. One of them has to be mine. Unless this body is borrowed, like the knife hands. Maybe I belong elsewhere. That thought isn't new. I've had it before. Many, many times. This city isn't new. This body is mine. I'm Sarah Desta. I'm twenty... I'm over 20. I'd check my driver's license for my exact age, address too, but I don't know where I left my purse. It wasn't with these clothes. I have an apartment in a brownstone building, third floor walk-up. I have a cat. It is probably hungry. I'd buy it food, but I spent all the blood drenched bathroom sink laundered money on burgers and fries. I find a brownstone. It resonates. I walk in, go up steps. I remember the scuffed carpet 
and the lopsided stare. Memory puzzles click into place. I'm not sure if I live here now, but I definitely did once. I find my door. I knock, then try the knob. It's not locked. There's no cat. No photos to hint who lives here. The sofa is old and shabby. Smells like popcorn. I sit. Hello, I call. No one answers. I lay me down and go to sleep. When I wake, I turn on the TV. The apartment still doesn't feel like mine, but close enough. I'm sore and blame the couch. Then I remember I was in a massacre, mostly because the people on TV are talking about it. I'm upset that I forgot. The dreaming usually doesn't cost me so many memories. Maybe that man fucked up my brain. I should get it looked at. I take a bag of broccoli from the freezer, wrap it in a dish towel, and hold it to my skull. Look down and see a wet spot on my shirt. Blood. It doesn't show too badly. On TV, a woman stands outside the building where they found the chopped up bodies. She holds a microphone and gestures behind her. The abandoned warehouse, hotbed of illegal activity, looks smaller on TV. I can't believe it took me so long to escape it. Reporter woman says police are investigating, asks witnesses to come forward. I'm a witness. Maybe the only one. I'm not going to call. The anchor couple asks girl reporter more questions. It's useless. She doesn't have answers. Maybe it's that warehouse. Maybe it steals memories. They toss around words like cartel and drugs, gangs and illegal gambling. They really like cockfighting. Their certainty in the face of no information makes me giggle. Maybe they could be witnesses. Thing is, they're almost right. But they're wrong because they think they're right. Cockfights. Chickens with heads and arms and legs and other bits cut off running around. I giggle again. Check my hands and there are only two of them, the normal kind. But then there's no one here to kill. Home sweet home. The doorknob jiggles. Someone walks in holding grocery bags. I stuff my broccoli ice pack between the cushions. She hears the TV, sees me and freezes. She's thin. The bags dwarf her torso. Younger than me, maybe still in college. Her black hair is pulled back in a haphazard ponytail. Yeah, a student, I think. Who are you, she says, remaining in the doorway, keys clutched in her hand. Sarah? She doesn't seem to recognize me or my name. What are you doing here? Fear seeps from her, distorting my vision like warped glass. I imagine my other hands wilting and withered. Waiting for your roommate? 
The lie leaps from my tongue so easily I wonder if it's the truth. Maybe it's a borrowed truth. Maybe it's just something I've said before. Whatever, it calms her. She steps inside. He moved out. She puts her bags on the table. The keys clatter. The door was open, I say, upset that I missed him. Could be I didn't ever live here. Maybe I just visited. Maybe this man who moved out is someone important, someone who knows me. Do you know where he went? She doesn't. I wonder if he's dead. I wonder if I killed him. I get up to leave. Her eyes go wide like she's recognized me. What? I say when she clamps her mouth shut. I wiggle my fingers and they're still fingers, not shivs. My other selves aren't peeking through. Nothing. Just for a moment you look like Iva, but she's dead. I guess Manny has a type. I almost ask who Manny is, then figure out he's the ex-roommate, my supposed boyfriend. I want to ask more about Iva. Did she have a cat? Her name tugs at me. Iva, Iva, Iva. No memory comes, but a connection is there. I give a half nod and leave. I'm back on the streets. That's okay. Finding apartments gets easier. I wish mine wasn't hiding, though. The clinic smells. It reminds me of the arena basement. Sex, death, sick. That's the odor. I wonder which one's mine. I've been here before. The receptionist recognized my name. She asked me if I still lived at the same address and rattled it off. The words keep trying to slide away, but I clutch them tight, pin them to my brain. I'm tired of searching for familiar places, hoping someone recognizes me. So far, it hasn't happened. I'm remembering all the things I've lost, all the things I should know. I have a cell phone, credit cards, a laptop, a cat. Wait, maybe Iva had the cat. No matter. I'll find out when I locate the street the receptionist said I live on. I'm missing GPS. Clothes, shoes, purses, friends, Google. Who is Sarah Desta? Google would know. I've lost memories, words, a transit pass. I'm tired of shelling out for buses and subways. Money is as hard to find as my apartment. A job. I have one, I'm sure. I don't know what I do or how I'll explain my absence, but it can't be all that great if I visit this clinic. Still, I continue to ride the subway and wait for buses, looking for that click that means this is where I get off. Haven't found it yet, and I'm running out of time, money, patience. I practice reading. Papers and posters over people's shoulders at their tablets. Another thing I have but don't have. And most, if not all, of my words have come back. My head hardly hurts, 
My aches and bruises and cuts are disappearing. I wouldn't have wandered in here except the posters on the subway said everyone should get tested. I'm everyone. This worry about STDs feels as funny to me as English first felt to my brain. I'll get used to it. English doesn't seem odd anymore. I think I might know more than one language. People talk in tongues and I catch words, phrases, understand what they're saying more all the time. It's usually about bad stuff. Hate talk, criminal acts. I don't know the names of these languages yet, but maybe in another day I'll be all the way back to me. Could I work as a translator? Maybe I'm a cop. Or a hotbed of illegal activity. I giggle. Hope for the translator. I left DNA all over that warehouse. I'm counting on not being in their system. I don't think I could explain what happened. A nurse calls my name. I follow her into an exam room. It smells of disinfectant and... When she finishes with my vitals and inquires what I'm here for, I almost ask to be disinfected. Make me as clean as this room. Sanitize, sterilize, bleach me. I had unprotected sex. I need to be tested. And I bumped my head. I change into a paper wrapper. I wait. The doctor looks at my head first, shines a light in my eyes asks a lot of questions. Some I can't answer. Day of week, year, who's president, how old am I? I equivocate. Do people really keep track of all these things? More and more questions. They lull me. I feel the tug of the dreaming and start to let go of my body. There is a rustling as I drift free from tissue and sinew, rise, the smell is gone, the discomfort. Voices sing to lullaby level. Those questions. I'm almost free when I catch sight of Sarah's face, her mouth working so hard to answer. I feel sorry for her. Why did I mention my head? The concern snaps me back into place, banishes the dreaming. My head feels better. I say, reflexes quivering. I'm more concerned about the sex tests. The doctor looks at me with a mixture of compassion and suspicion, then alarm. I follow her gaze. There's a small blood smear on the paper wrapper. Are you hurt? She says and puts down the chart. I'm encouraged into a supine position and the wrapper rustles as she bears my skin. My side has a huge purplish bruise, almost black at its center. Where blood is seeping from is a one-inch gash, mostly healed. I check my other bruises, and they too have faded since I last looked. She should have seen the cut earlier. This is barely a scratch in comparison. What happened? the doctor asks. She reaches for blue latex gloves, gauze, and more. She pokes lightly at the area, pressing and retreating. I dropped a knife. 
Which seems like a better answer than someone tried to stab me. I see her disbelief. This needs stitches. You should have gone to the ER. What I should have done was wait to come in. Wait till I healed. Wait to see if I caught something first. Give whatever disease a chance to flourish. But this place called to me and I answered. Stupid. Might as well have called the cops. Tell them my hands turned into knives. See how long it takes them to lock me up. I pull the paper wrapper down and sit up. Her probing has reminded me that I have an ache in my side. It didn't hurt before. I'm glad the other wounds have closed or she'd probably reopen those too. My body will heal that scratch, I say, voice needle sharp. But I can't heal HIV. Can I get my test now? My couch is blue. It doesn't smell like popcorn. There's no cat. Maybe I should get one. We could compare claws. I stare at the pictures of me with other people and tell myself this is my apartment. I even remember some of their names, but this place doesn't feel like home. Didn't even get one of those pulls of recognition. I keep waiting for someone to walk in, tell me I don't live here anymore. I watch the TV, surf channels for updates on the deadly warehouse massacre. I miss the basement arena the way I think I should miss home. My first memories are of that place. I was born there. Not really, but everything from before feels foggy, forgettable. A commercial comes on wanting me to join the army. It reminds me of my other hands, the ones that carve hearts from flesh. The phone rings and I answer it, surprised I still have fingers. Sarah, thank God, where have you been? Why didn't you call? I lost my purse, my phone, myself maybe. You left it at the club, Nikki's got it. Where'd you go? Who was that guy? Suddenly, I remember the club. Nikki, Nina, Kendall. It's Nina on the phone. She has red hair and a collection of fuck-me heels I sometimes envy. I left with a guy. Can't recall what he looks like. He's blurry. Tall, dark-haired. Manny? No, that was after. I followed him outside and then... Blank. I should get my purse back. Where's Nikki live? Jesus, Sarah, how much did you have to drink? I don't know. Maybe I didn't go dreaming. Maybe I blacked out. Was he any good? Who? Does Nina know about Manny? Should I ask her about Iva? No. Nina doesn't know Iva. That I'm certain about. Why did all those apartments feel like home? The guy from the club? Suddenly Nina's questions remind me of the nosy doctor at the clinic. Was the sex consensual? I hang up before the dreaming can claim me again, then call back for Nikki's address. I'd better get my purse before she forgets it's mine.
It'd be just like Nikki to keep it. I catch sight of my reflection in the TV's blackness and stare, all my power on display. Iva, I think, is that you? Did your hands ever go missing? Did you dream? Then the news is back, all color and sound. I forget Iva. I forget Manny. The auction orgy murder house fades to flashes as if it never happened. The bump on my head is gone. I have my purse, my credit cards, my cell. All is returned. I know where I live. I'm headed back there now. I've lived in the city all my life. I never had a cat. I only understand English and a couple of words of Spanish. Things are back to normal. Until someone snatches my purse. My arm catches on the sliced strap and I'm spun around by the force of the thief's grab. I lose my balance. My feet dance in a small circle to keep me upright. I cry out, find myself in a brief tug of war. My untangled hand, forged into steel, slashes out. The thief curses and my purse falls to the pavement between us. We stare at each other's blades. The thief, eyes fixed on my transformed hand, backs up, then pivots and runs off before I give chase. A passerby hands me my purse, asks if I need help. I clasp my ruined bag to my chest, both hands once again flesh. So fast, I think, so fast. Lady, you okay? I'm fine. My voice is high, my breathing pitched. I hear dark words everywhere and hurry away before my other arms can grow, before the mayhem finds me, or I follow it. Something is different about the apartment, and for a moment I think I've blundered into the wrong one again. But no, everything here belongs to Sarah Desta, except the brightly dressed man sitting on the couch. He looks like an embroidered peacock. You're back, he says, as if he's been waiting for me. Something's wrong with him, besides the breaking and entering, besides the paisley patterned clothes. He doesn't scare me so much as confuse me. There are no dark thoughts twining about him. He twinkles like sunlight on freshly washed stemware. Maybe I should know him. He knows me. Sit, he says, and even his words glitter. He's smiling. That's what's off. When's the last time anyone smiled at me? And this guy, he means it. He beams. Even when he speaks, his cheeks hold his grin. It'd be creepy if he weren't so genuinely cheerful. I don't know you, I say. Yet, I inch closer, entranced like a rabbit watching a charming cobra. You always say that. A smile in every word. Who are you? I do know him. His voice strikes chords in my memory, so deep I can't dredge them up. You always forget. He shakes his head as if I've been a naughty child, and still that happy grin. 
Why are you smiling? What's there to smile about? I didn't think it possible, but his lips curved deeper upwards. You always ask that. And suddenly I know. He has the answers. My answers. That's what has him grinning. He knows and I don't and... He interrupts. It's such a shame you don't smile. I smile. I show him my teeth, sharp and white, angry. He sighs and his smile dims. No, you smirk, you simper. Your lips curl into a perfect sneer, but you never smile. Why are you here? He lifts one shoulder, turns his palm face up. Wherever you go, I follow. Can't have you without me. Or maybe I follow him. Did you bring me to that warehouse? Do you know Iva? Are you Manny? Anger makes you forgetful, he tuts. You draw evil as if it were your favorite straw. The darkness, the shadows, you drink them up. Feast on destruction. I simply follow in your bloodthirsty wake. I think of the men from the arena, their greed and their ferocity, their cocks and their bite. How could this jolly bliss bag blame me? Sarah called and I went to her, just like Iva and all those before her, my many selves. They forget and I remember. They need me. I answer. We dream. I don't need you, I tell this useless half. One day, he says smugly, you will learn to welcome joy. Until then, I have my knives. I call, but they don't come. That's okay. I have hands. I fling myself at him, wrap my many arms around his neck. He laughs, belly shaking as I squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. He hugs me back. We dance, again and again and again. That was H.L. Fullerton's Lend Me Hands, Idle and Sharp, as read by Summer Brooks. Summer Brooks is a bit of a television addict and enjoys putting her sci-fi media geek skills to good use in interviewing guests. She has been a co-host for Slice of Sci-Fi from 2005 to 2009, the co-host for the Babylon podcast from 06 to 2012, and host of Kick-Ass Mystic Ninjas, before returning to Slice of Sci-Fi full-time as host and producer in 2014. She is an avid reader and writer of sci-fi, fantasy, and thrillers, with a handful of publishing credits to her name. Next on her agenda is writing an urban fantasy tale and a B-movie monster extravaganza. Currently, Summer designs and maintains websites for clients in addition to having fun with the Slice of Sci-Fi websites, and also does voiceover and narrations for Tales to Terrify, Starship Sofa, and Escape Pod 
among others. Thank you, Summer. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you're not a supporter already, head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify, where you'll find all kinds of perks, from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shoutouts and merch packs. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Stitcher or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. You'll not only put a smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales. You can share your love of the show out in the world, too, with some Tales to Terrify merch. TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will shoot you over to our Tee Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy, custom, and curated designs that's always growing, so check back often. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, Brian Rollins, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we dredge up dark memories with more Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.